Manscaped presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Also brought to you by our partners at Foundation Physiotherapy, Ballistic Sports, and Georgetown Honda. This week, we chat with the man who's responsible for talking Mark Burley out of what would have been the biggest mistake of his life. If you don't go out to try baseball tomorrow, if you quit now, you're going to be quitting on yourself the rest of your life. I said, Mom and I didn't raise quitters. And now, here's a guy whose dad also tried to give him some great advice. He didn't follow it at all, and here he is. Barry Davis! <laughs> you see, I was going to say that and now here's a guy who never had to worry about quitting anything because he never started anything. <laughs> Come on. If you're going to insult me, at least give me a good insult. I've seen the clips of you on a baseball diamond. I saw you giving it your all. You really tried, and that's actually what made it so hard to watch. Yes. <laughs> uh, it will not be hard to watch this week's show, folks, because this is a jam-packed show. As Tom mentioned, we'll be talking to John Burley, the father of Mark Burley. We'll get an update as to what Mark is up to since retirement, and we're going to find out if we are any closer to actually landing the man himself, Mark Burley, on this show. The news is not all that discouraging, so that's good news. So we'll talk to Mark Burley. We're going to talk to an MLB player agent who is based here out of Canada. His name is Derek Marquis. He represents a whole whack of young players, including at least a handful that have been drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll talk about what his role is as an agent, how it has changed throughout COVID, and we've got some really exciting news to tell you about that as well. We will also be drawing for two prizes from our friends at the Jaywalk. We have a prize for someone who is not an OTP insider, and we've got an even bigger prize for somebody who is an OTP insider. So we'll be making that draw on the show. But up next, Tom, we're going to be talking about, instead of a father, we're going to be talking about a mother, and we're also going to talk about why you and I are wearing these matching T-shirts if you are watching the program. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're watching and listening to Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. The first pitch is brought to you, Tom, by our brand new partners. We are really, really excited to have them on board. We're wearing the shirts. I've got the package in front of me right now. Manscaped. And you have seen Manscaped everywhere. They are advertising everywhere, and we're absolutely honored that they want to work with us. And I'm going to show you what this thing can do now. Tom and I just recently received our Manscaped 4.0. It's the Lawnmower 4.0. You've used yours. Mine is still in the box here. And before we get into your actual use, we're not talking about some cheap box even. Like, this thing is unfreaking believable This is a high-tech product in an incredibly high-tech box. So you got your razor, which you know we'll get into in just a second. And then inside... You get yourself a little booklet here, and inside the booklet, you've got all these different, you know, little tips on on how to use your razor. You've got more tips right here. Inside, you've got all the different little grooming handles and stuff like that. Thomas, this thing is awesome. And with Father's Day coming up real soon, this will make a great gift, and we're going to tell you in a few minutes how you can get one of these at an incredible discounted price. But before, you use this thing, right? I did, yes. Dare, dare I ask where on your body you use this? Okay, yeah. You know what? 
it's a little bit risque, right? The manscaped, uh, you know, their 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 advertising is really based around your balls, um, and and hey, that's where it's called groin grooming. Okay, groin grooming. Now, I am, you know, I'm I'm gonna just jump right over the 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 whole. It's it's you know it's one of those risque things to talk about because it isn't. It's one of those things that we should really be talking about an awful lot. And yeah, I used mine already, and I did because I've actually been grooming myself in you know since about 15 or 20 years ago when you know lo and behold very people that watch us on the show know that i have really bad luck i had a, a really bad accident on a on a snowboard hill and i broke my tailbone and I know that. yeah yeah and from there i had like two surgeries out of it and grooming those areas of my body became really really important it's been something that i've had to do uh for yeah like almost 20 years so you know, I have been one of those guys that just kind of used a clipper and had to be really careful and, and, you know, you know, one little slip, one little shake and yeah. you pay for it. Yeah. You pay for it dearly. This lawnmower is like one of the most amazing machines I have ever seen. Uh, I intentionally tried to cut myself. It did not happen. Come on. You did not try to cut yourself. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. They, they, uh, they advertise that it's, you know, the no cut. Uh, on the most sensitive areas and guess what uh, i'm i'm here to say with a smile on my face it works phenomenally you know you don't have to take it all the way down to the deck you know you can just shorten up the 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 shrubbery as it were they've got beautiful little you know attachments for that so you can take it down a little bit or an awful lot whatever you want the important thing is is it's unbelievably easy to use unbelievably easy to clean unbelievably gentle on the whole, but like it was the easiest process, and I'm someone that's been doing this for 20 years. So, you know, guys out there, if you're not taking care of that area of your body, give it a spin. You, it will change your life. You will be a happier, cleaner feeling person all day long. And we've got a great deal for you. And with Father's Day coming soon, uh, if you have a hairy father, <laughs> uh, you may want to uh, look at. The Lawnmower 4.0 for Manscaped, and here is a great deal. And this deal is going to be around for at least one month, and it's up right now. So go to manscaped.com, and if you enter the promo code out of the park, O-U-T-T-A-T-H-E-P-A-R-K, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping with that code. Can't ask for a better deal for that. Right? Nice. You know what? Hopefully we're going to have a, an awful lot of happy listeners and happy listeners families as a result of this promotion exactly all right speaking of happy listeners and happy viewers we want to also thank our friends at the jaywalk who uh have been partners with us for years uh obviously because of covid we haven't been able to continue the the type of promotions we've been doing with them but juliet the jaywalk was on our show a few weeks ago and said hey i've got some swag i'd like to give away on your show so we have two prizes. One is a Jaywalk shirt of your choice, which is going to go to someone who is not an OTP insider. And in a moment, you'll find out why it actually it pays to be an OTP insider. But if you are not an OTP insider, you still have the opportunity to answer the question, which was named, I think it was, three previous guests that we've had on out of the park since we've moved to Zoom. And we have a winner. So without further ado, our non- OTP member winner is 
it's Sam. Twitter handle at 00Sammy17 will be the proud and happy recipient of a Jaywalk shirt. Sam, we will be contacting you via Twitter to let you know you have won. We'll get some information from you, which we'll pass to Julia at the Jaywalk. And at that time, they will send you your shirt. Now, the grand prize. And this goes to anyone who was an OTP insider who answered this question. We put all the names into a hat. We drew a name. And the name that we drew was, in fact, an OTP insider since 2018. The winner's Kelly Cooper. Kelly Cooper, congratulations. Kelly Cooper, we have not had you on one of our Zooms yet. Now we need to get you on wearing some of your new Jaywalk swag. So you have won an incredible prize pack from the Jaywalk. Once again, Kelly, I'll be in touch with you, and then I'll pass your information on to the Jaywalk, and you get to choose a bunch of really, really cool stuff. Okay, in just a minute, we're going to hear from MLB player agent Derek Marquis, and he's going to tell us a lot about what is going on in the world of baseball and some of the young talent that is out there and more or less the role of the agent in 2021. But, Tom, I've got some good news. He sent me a list of all of his clients, and there's at least a half a dozen of them that are Toronto Blue Jay prospects. And starting in two weeks, we're going to start having some of these kids on that are going to be future Toronto Blue Jays. We're also going to have some that are not Blue Jays but are Canadian-born players that are with other organizations. So we're going to give you each week a little insight into the lives of some of the up-and-coming players that you may see in a Blue Jay uniform or in a Major League uniform down the line. Super exciting. And and you know what? It's Baseball players in Canada have a, have a tougher go in some ways than the States because we don't have that year-round program. And since COVID, it's been even harder. So it's going to be amazing to connect with these people and kind of hear about their journey and hear about how they're succeeding. Well, Tom, each week on this show, you and I talk to, usually we talk to former ball players, or as you'll hear later in the show, a former ball player's dad. Well, now we're going to talk to somebody who is has the responsibility of helping us get to know some of the new players in the game. Uh, he runs a company called Lake Ridge Sports Management. He is the head honcho, Derek Marquis. Do I pronounce it Marquis, your last name? Marquis, Marquez, Marks, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfectly. Uh, Lake Ridge Sports Management, it's a full-service Canadian professional baseball agency. And first and foremost, for what you do, uh, how difficult has it been over the last couple of years with COVID, with the limited amount of jobs that are available for young players, because with each minor league system kind of being torn down over the last couple of years, I'm thinking that's going to kind of close the gap on the amount of jobs that are actually available for young players. Yeah. So in regards to, you know, how COVID's kind of hurt us or whatever, um, being in Canada, I've already been used to working remotely. Um, so with that aspect, hasn't been too bad other than me not being able to go to spring training for the past two years. In regards to the contractment, you know, I already had a lot of players in independent ball. So I've had a lot of connections there. So any player that wanted to play independent ball, I was able to get them on a roster and then able to convince the players that they wanted to go to independent ball to realize that it is an opportunity to get back into an affiliate. You know, I've already had three players this year signed from an independent ball back to affiliate. Working with young players, and uh, I'll put my my cards on the table here. Uh, 
my 11 year old son uh, plays triple A ball. So we kind of live and breathe baseball. And, and this is a conversation I've been really interested to have uh, precisely because I get the opportunity to ask questions like this. Um, and you're looking for an agent for your son in about four years. Well, uh, well, you see, there's, <laughs> the thing. there's the thing. I don't even know. I don't know what that looks like in Canada. Um, and I know that how we do things in Canada is vastly different than a lot of the stories we hear from players that have come up through the States. So, you know, for yourself as an agent for young players, uh, what's the most important thing that you tell to your clients? You know, who should be looking for an agent? When should they be looking for an agent? And, you know, what are the sorts of things that you do for, for players in Canada? So um, if your son wants to play NCAA, let's just kind of make the wording correct. You'd be looking for an advisor, um, mm -hmm. right? Because players can have advisors. They can have agents, which makes them NCAA ineligible. And pretty much the biggest kind of written rule is it has to be a verbal agreement. There can't be a written contract, right? So if you have a written contract, even as an advisor, NCAA will deem that as an agent, right? So I, can, I do act as an advisor. I have 30 players for this year's draft. Um, to answer your question, because I had a few of them in there, um, which players should look at having an advisor? I would say any player playing at that premium level, like Ontario Blue Jays, um, you know, the Toronto Mets, anything at that regards. And, you know, what we do for a player at that level is trying to find them the right school to go to first, you know, get their education um, tied up just in case they don't get drafted or give them an option, right? And going to, I say this often, you know, going to the best place to succeed. Do you go directly into a D1 program, directly go to a JUCO program, right? And if you go to a JUCO program, junior college, going to the best junior college that will get them transferred into a D1 program. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that Canadian parents aren't aware of. They just hear of, oh, my son's going to school in the States and they think it's a chance to get to the next level, but they're going to a D2 or a D3 school, which is pretty much you're playing college or Canadian university baseball just down South paying a lot more money. Derek, when you look at 20 years ago, if you were a Canadian ball player, you almost had to, go down south to get your you know your college education and hopefully get a scholarship and then get discovered and make it to the big leagues is it a little bit more plausible now for a young canadian ball player to not leave canada and still make it to the big leagues i think you know even if you're playing within canada you do have to play against american players because unknowingly i will look at a canadian player the same way probably a lot of american scouts do how would this player do against american talent Right. So you need to go up against that to show that they can prove it. Right. Because the depth of Canadian baseball isn't as deep. So they're going to already assume, you know, oh, this guy's just doing well because he's playing in Canada and the talent isn't as good. Right. So he needs to prove himself against those better players in the United States. And I would say, I don't know this for a fact, but it's probably the exact same thing in the United States with Canadian, with American hockey players. Right. How would this player do in Canada? Right. How would this player do in the OHL? right? Or in minor midget in Toronto in the GTHL, right? And we look at that, you know, I'm going to Ontario Blue Jays and watching the games, like how would this player perform if I'm watching a high school game in the States, right? Would this player still do well? And, you know, is he hitting his zone? He's striking these guys out, but these are balls that are out of the zone that they're striking out, right? So you really, I think you need to go down to the United States to just show that you can play at that level. And it's no different than a, than a college player playing at a smaller school, playing against a power five school, right? You need to show that you can play against the elite talent at that level, whatever you're playing in. 
is there a common, you know, I guess I should say bump in the road for players as they're going from high school to, to college and in particular from Canada, maybe to the United States, are there, are there bumps or roadblocks that generally tend to happen that players have trouble with? Not playing. That is definitely the number one bump, right? They're college, they're big fish in a small sea in high school. It doesn't matter if you're a Canadian or American and you get to these large programs and they don't play their freshman year. And then all of a sudden they're talking about going into the transfer portal, right? Well, you know, this team scouted you or the school, you know, recruited you to play, but they're not necessarily play as a freshman, right? So you need to kind of earn your bumps and get that and kind of go into it, you know, with the mentality that you're not going to play as a freshman, you know, only those elite 10 out of 10 prospects have, you know, a possibility of playing as a freshman. If you're even a nine and a half out of 10, chances are you're still going to ride the pine. So I think that's the biggest adjustment. You're not only going miles away from home, right? Not being with any fans or uh, friends or family and then not playing, right? So, you know, you just imagine when you went to university that first year and the freshman 15 and that adjustment, and you're only a couple hours away from home, just imagine these young players doing that and going there just to play baseball and you're not even doing that. Wow. You, know, you brought up the freshman 15. Is it common for young baseball players to gain that too? Or is that something all the baseball keeps off of? It depends on the person, right? It depends. It's, you know, there's players that did gain a little extra weight at a player um, university that um, let's put it this way. Um, I think he gained like the COVID 70 um, and he was more lined up like a linebacker when he showed up to school in September. So he really had to get his weight down um, with that. But like anything, you know, it depends on the training level and, you know, how self-aware and, you know, how disciplined you are as an athlete. Derek, has the role of an agent, I wouldn't want to say changed, but maybe progressed over the years, whereas it's one thing to see talent in a player and see potential and, and try to get him the best possible contract. But is there also part of you that has to also prepare these young kids for what they're going to see in a world that we're in now where money can come to you fast and the fame can happen to you fast. And with this day and age, you've got to be really careful about how you act in public. And we've seen it so many times. And even, you know, you hear about this terrible Roberto Alomar incident uh, to avoid players getting into these types of troubles that maybe 30 years ago I think the biggest trouble we need to educate them is on social media. And that's the good thing about baseball is they're not overnight superstars, right? Like they are in the NHL, NBA, NFL, where the first round pick, all of a sudden, everyone knows who you are, right? The first round pick in baseball will still ride every bus that the 40th round pick will, right? And that's kind of why I like, you know, working with the baseball player because you always have the ability to make it. Um, but I think the social media aspect, I know a few years ago, where teams are really going through player social media and there's a lot of players asking me, how do I just delete my social media? Just because they weren't sure if they deleted, you know, sorry, if they tweeted a song lyric, you know, that's good to be taken out of context. Right. And that's the biggest thing. And that's the thing too, that I kind of disagree with whenever these players, you know, go, oh, this person tweeted this out in, you know, 10 years ago, but it was a rap lyric, right? And that happened to Josh Allen before he got drafted by the Bills. And as a Bills fan, I would say thank you for every team that passed him because he made that tweet, you know, as a freshman in high school. But you know, I think that's the biggest thing where it's like you just have to think twice. And even during the Black Lives Matter, you know, I had a player in the Giants system and he wanted to, t uh, to post something and he's African-American. He sent it to me first and I kind of looked it over. I said, you know, this is great, but you know, just take out the profanity. Right. I think by taking a profanity, you just sound a lot more educated and the message will come across where by leaving the profanity in it, 
um, I think people will not take your messages seriously. And, you know, he was beneficial enough to look, made it kind of go through me first where there's other players that may not, but you know, that was just my advice. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. And we are joined once again by our good pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. You have three locations plus your uh, online opportunities for people to uh, get themselves some physiotherapy. And uh, how can they go about lining up one of the appointments to either come see you in person or virtually? All the information is online, foundationphysio.com, all of our services in person, virtually. We have the full gamut to keep you healthy and safe. So give us a shout. Awesome. And, you know, I pointed out this to you, Raj, just before we went on, that you're a good, good looking, well-groomed man. And I think you would be a perfect owner for the Manscaped 4.0 lawnmower. See that? This is how we. I, I just want to know how you know I'm that well groomed, but we'll see that for just, another just, day. Just, <laughs> I'll jump okay. in right okay. here. The hair, the beard. He's always looking good every week. Just right? this part. Just this part. Just this part. Yes. We don't know what's going on. Party up top. Well, right? That's what Manscaped's for. We're going to help you with that. Raj, speaking of looking good, uh, well, the opposite of that happened with John Tavares in game one of their Stanley Cup playoff series with Montreal Canadiens. And when you look at the hit, there was like, was like two, two separate, separate hits. hits. When you look, when you at, that look replay, at that replay, was it the second one that probably did the damage or a combination of being hit twice? Raj, we saw him in the crowd or in one of the private boxes watching game five. And, I mean, I know somebody, a guy I work with, suffered a concussion recently, and he spent at least two weeks not being able to even see light. The fact that he was sitting in a well-lit arena with noise and lights and everything going on, is can we take that as a good sign? Yes. I mean, he he's come off that initial rest protocol, which is great. 
So I see it as a good sign that he's able to kind of handle that stress. But again, remember, now he's getting the, what we call like that external stimulus with the noise and the light, but he doesn't have that physical stimulus. He's not required to skate and have and handle the puck at the same. So when we combine the two together, that's where we can see, will those two work together? And plus is the pressure too, right? The pressure also adds what we call a cognitive stress, which is a mental stress to perform. Uh, he didn't have that stress with him yesterday. So you know, he might have it from a different perspective, but being the captain of the team, that stress is on you as well. And stress can totally be a large part of, you know, how quickly you recover from a concussion. With hockey, obviously one of the big things is, is physical hits. And you know, so he's not going to just be able to come back to the game and DH like a baseball player would be, you know, he doesn't have an, you know, a hockey player doesn't have the option. They, they have to go out there. They have to get hit. Is that going to make the recovery much slower than say a baseball player? I a hundred percent. I think so probably because of the impact that's possible that that could happen in the sport. And that's why I think if Tavares does return, I, my opinion is the deep, the Leafs would have to be pretty deep in the playoffs for Tavares to return. And at that point, he's probably returning on limited controlled minutes because they want to limit his ability. Right. It also, it, the, the, the NHLPA has strong contracts about this, um, that, you know, the player's health comes first, especially in a concussion. So, you know, hopefully the Leafs go deep and we get to see him come back, but it's probably also going to be on restricted minutes. Well, Raj, uh, Normally, I would make some kind of a smart-ass joke right here, but because we are talking about something so serious, uh, instead of saying a smart-ass joke, I'm just going to remind you, uh, the promo code, out of the park, manscaped.com is, is where you go to, to get one of these beautiful things. And uh, we'll give you one more chance to plug Foundation Physiotherapy website, Instagram. Where can people go? Uh, at Foundation Physio on Instagram and foundationphysio.com. Check us out. Um, you know, we're happy to help you. All right. You got a good head on your shoulders, and I want to see that head shave next time we talk. <laughs> Which head? <laughs> this is where we say goodbye. <laughs> we are joined now by, I call you the king of all baseball dads, and that is Mr. John Burley. And first of all, John, thank you so much for being the voice and the face to for your son. God love Mark. Just not a me guy. We've been trying to get him to do something like this for you. Have you had have you come any closer at all, especially after the Hall of Fame announcement that maybe he would consider doing something like this? On a scale of one to ten before it was zero, it's probably a at least a one, maybe a two now. So it, it is getting there. <laughs> I like that. So you're saying there's a chance. There, there's always a chance. There's always a chance, yeah. Has Mark always been, like, I, I always found, like, we could just talk away from the cameras, away from everything, and we'd have just incredible conversations. But when that camera's on him, he, he just, he's quiet. Has that always been Mark's way? <laughs> yes, Mark, he's always been like that. You know, to, to get him started, as you well know, to get him started on an interview is like pulling teeth. But once you get him going, he, he's fine. It's just the first 15 seconds, 30 seconds of any interview, he he he, he just flat hates it. But once you get him going, you can't shut him up. You know, <laughs> he really likes it. So now you've asked, have you ever have you ever said to him, okay, Mark, I know you don't like doing these things, but this is Barry for goodness sakes. I actually I have said something along that line. <laughs> I don't know if I want to know how he responded. Well, you haven't got the interview yet, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, no, I, I have said something like that to him. And he's, yeah, I know, I know. And just like, I, I think, you know, 
you remember the conversation of per, uh, kind of a private conversation you and I had a few years ago about there's only you know so many uh, announcers that you know I uh, I, I cotton to you know mm-hmm. and uh, Mark's kind of the same way and you are in that group um, now none of them except with maybe ex- with the exception of Hawk um, you know was was right up on on the top. But um, you know you're you're in that group, so I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't give up. All right, I I am honored. I am honored, Tom. This is good news. Yeah, you know when we're looking back, you know looking back at, at Mark's career, um, is there maybe an interview or a moment in front of the cameras, maybe early on in his career that that pops into your head when you see him not wanting to do it later as maybe the source of of his reluctance? You mean like bad press? really bad yeah was there an interview that went really bad back in the day there wasn't an interview that went bad with him uh there was an interview that went bad with my wife um when we were in you know in fact we were in toronto and uh it was one of the one of the first games uh the first i know it was in the first year one of the first games at market pitched um a, a local reporter uh broad broadcast journalist if you will uh, came up and asked uh, a number of questions and my wife she's she's that's where mark gets it from because he he is very much like like pat you know she just doesn't want to do the interviews and he had interviewed her and i was there and some of the things that that pat said he took and turned totally around um one, one of the the things was um mark was on the road it was, gosh i can't remember it was her birthday in august or Mother's Day, it was, it was some one of those something like along that line there, and Mark just he just couldn't get to a phone <clears throat> to me and call. Well, the reporter said something to, or asked Pat something. Well, you heard from Mark today? She said no. He's he's on the road. He'll probably call me later tonight, which he did call that night. I think he was flying from Toronto to L.A. or you know, Texas. I'm not really sure where, but he was he was on the road, and uh, rather than and broadcasting that he wrote it up as though you know mark burley refused or uh, didn't have time for his mom on mother's day or on her birthday or something like that and it, it was it was printed and she was so visibly upset she was crying i was i was so mad i was if i could have got the guy i would have run his neck uh and i still may have ever seen him but uh, <laughs> from that point on uh, she's never given another interview and i'll be very careful there's only a few that i'll that i'll speak to and Barry's one of them, which he knows, because he and I have had this conversation, you know, years ago. But uh, there's there's not many that uh, we'll speak to, and I think it's one of those reasons, right there, is uh, and Mark, he's never had bad press, but there's always been guys that want to just sensationalize. On you know, he downplays everything. You know, you know, Mark, he's just, you know, they threw his perfect game. I just want to go home. I, I'm gonna go home and have some pizza or something like that. He wasn't looking off for all the pomp and circumstance that goes along with it. He's going to get out of there, but um, guys just, they just won't, uh, you know, they won't let him alone and they, they sensationalize on, on the negative. So there was a time where, when I was on the Blue Jays broadcast during a, bro- a game and I went into the stands and did a little interview with you during the broadcast. And I went back down to the camera bay and in between innings, when the Jays were batting, Mark actually came out into the camera bay and he goes, what were you doing talking to my dad? I said, how do you know that? He goes, because I was watching it while I was in the in the clubhouse between innings. I said, uh, 
what, you didn't, you didn't like that? He goes, and he just kind of gave me that little wink. He goes, you stay away from my dad. And then he goes out that inning, and he, I think he walked two or three. And he comes back out after. He goes, you see what you did? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if it makes you feel better, Barry, of all the stations that he could have been watching, he was watching you. Yeah, I'll take that as a compliment. There you I'll go. See? So he's watching. He, he hones in on you. He knows. Yes. John, there have been, at, at this point, I think, what, six, seven, eight no-hitters already thrown this year. And they're becoming uh, pretty much commonplace now. But when Mark threw his perfect game, uh, it was it was a huge deal, and it's still a huge deal because perfect games are, are you know even rarer than a no hitter. What do you remember about? Were you and Pat at the game? Did you watch it on TV? Like, what do you remember about that day? Uh, I was headed up to Mark's farm that day, uh, and I was going to go up there and watch the game. Uh, we were here in, in uh, Missouri. Uh, I was going to go up and watch the game up there, and, and Pat was here. And um, on my way up, she. Uh, well, I, I guess right after I got there, she called me. The reception up there was real bad. Um, I, for some reason, I just couldn't pull the station in for save my soul. I was trying to, you know, get the uh, get it on on TV, and I was just getting reports from from Pat. And she says, um, "Well, you know, Mark's doing really well. It's the sixth inning. He's you know he's zero zeros and all that. And seventh inning, uh, you know, Mark's got a you know what going. And uh, next thing, you know." Is that Pat sneaking over your shoulder? Yeah. <laughs> Not back in the show. Uh, that's the thing I remember most about that perfect game is that I couldn't tune in. You know, here's the game of his life. And I'm sitting there with a bunch of egg and scrambled you know, garbage on the TV. Oh, my God. I was, I was my, if I would, I, I think I had a pacemaker at the time. It was going overtime, keep my heart going straight. You know, it's just like, wow. But that's the thing I remember most about his perfect game. How many of his games did you watch? Because, I mean, you know, most parents, they kind of stop watching their kids do stuff once they're done high school. But when you have a child going to professional sports, you know, you're watching right up until their 40s, uh, you know, hanging on every pitch. How often did you watch his games? Were you watching every game he went out there? We, We watched every game. If we weren't at the game that he was pitching, we were watching it on TV, if we could get it. Uh, we had the uh, the MLB package, you know, everything we get. And there might have been two or three games in the entire his career that we couldn't get that they just weren't broadcasting. If he wasn't pitching the, that particular game, um, we, we would still watch a game if we weren't doing something else, you know. But there were times we had things to do. We just went ahead and go since he wasn't pitching. But we knew ahead of time, you know, when he was going to be pitching. So we watched just about every game. I'll say we watched every game that he pitched, you know, from, well, first, his first outing in Minnesota uh, to his last one. Yeah. So who's having a harder time with the retirement, Mark or you and Pat? Pat and I. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, um, yeah. Well, Mark, Mark misses, he misses the guys. Um, he, you know, he, he really does. He, he misses the guys tremendously. Uh, he, he stays in contact with them, uh, especially, uh, you know, the guys he met early on in his career, you know, the John Garland and, you know, Paul Canerco and them. And, uh, you know, the, just just all the, the players in general, even the, the one year he's in Miami, he made some good friends down there and in Toronto. Um, but it's just, you know, he, he misses the guys. He doesn't miss the, like he, he said numerous times, you know, one, th- one thing in particular he doesn't miss at all is the, uh, uh, 
guy coming through and telling him, the travel agent coming through and saying, okay, you got to be downstairs, you know, 630 in the morning, catch the bus. Or you got to be here at a certain time. You got to be here. He doesn't miss that at all. But uh, as, as far as, uh, he misses the game, but uh, not not playing it so much. He had quite atypical stuff. Someone that, you know, was such a successful starting pitcher. Um, and uh, for a lion's share of his career, he wasn't going out there throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. But, um, you know, I've got a son that's a young pitcher. And, um, you know, you see funny things when you're, you're watching other teams play. And you can always tell the pitcher's dads because they're the ones that are pacing out behind the field or, you know, they can't sit still. Were you one of those dads that was pacing? Did you have your routine or your good luck that went in line with Mark when he threw? And, and oh, number yeah. two, when did you know he had something really special going? Well, the f- first question, uh, I can probably count in, in the 16 years that, that he played baseball. Um, I can probably count the number of times on one hand that I actually sat in the seat when he was on the mound. Um, I, I could not, could not sit there and watch. Whether he was winning or losing, I couldn't do it. I, ju- I just, there was something, I just so nervous. Um, so I'd be, I'd be walking all around the field. I, I got to know those parks pretty good. The, you know, the back uh, alleys, not, not the alleys, but the, you know, the concourses. I got to you know, know all those places pretty well because I walked it all the time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I couldn't sit in the, in the seat and watch him. Um, yeah, and it was murder when he had the suite in Chicago because you know, you're almost required to stay there. You know, to, to, it was nice, but uh, you know, like still, if he's out there pitching, you know, like, you know, I can still get out and go away, but you know, I had to go back there. But uh, as, far as, as far as knowing when Mark was um, <clears throat> gonna be something, when he was, um, and I, I don't remember exactly, but was, and I'm, I'm not joking here. So when he was something like 18 months, two years old, we would take him with our uh, other children. We'd go to these little school carnivals and they'd have these poster boards with a, a picture of a bunny or a clown. You throw a couple bean bags through the mouth, you know, get a toy, that sort of thing. Well, more often than not, we were, my uh, Pat and I, we were asked to leave because we had so many stuffed animals and, and toys and everything. Mark was up there, just a little, you know, two-year-old kid just chucking them <laughs> through those holes. And we, we were just winning things left and right, you know, whatever they had. So <clears throat> we, we kind of knew then that, well, I, sus- I suspected that, you know, anything could always change. I, well, maybe it's just a quirk. But as he grew up, as he was growing, he just, he just seemed to improve every year i mean he had control was there uh, he he was just so accurate he never had speed but he had the accuracy and he had the finesse you know they can make that ball dance and do what he wanted to do and when he got to play little league we were we were having teams from well at the time we were still right here in the st louis you know area we were having teams as far away as uh, 30 and 40 miles over into Illinois coming over here and trying to draft him. Uh, I don't know if draft is the right word uh, to, to play on their team over there because he was, he was that good. And uh, he was like that his entire little league career. And then even going into high school, except the first two years, you know, that's a story in itself. They got cut the first two years in school. Um, he was uh, the coach told him said uh, if you wanted to play big, if you never play sports you better find something besides baseball because you'll never make it there. 
um, <clears throat> that's uh, that's you know kind of kind of backfired on him uh, time and time again. But uh, he uh, he got cut his freshman sophomore year, and, and no one could understand why because he was just so good. He was uh, the the year that the White Sox won the World Series. You know they came out with uh, Wheaties boxes with marked picture on them, and they had a it was, was kind of like the I don't know what they if they have it up here in Toronto I can't remember but uh White Sox called Sox Fest uh winter warm-up here in yeah. St. Louis you know Jay's Fest yeah winter fest okay. yeah okay um they they had in the St. Louis area during the, the winter warm-up for the Cardinals St. St. Charles County where we live here in Missouri the greater sports authority had a, a very similar situation you know they maybe had 100 150 people in a, in a lunch and as uh, centerpieces on all the tables was a box of Wheaties, uh, which was given out a little bit later on, you know. So uh, uh, Mark, high school coach, the one he cut, or the one that cut Mark, uh, was invited. Jeez. And this guy's, you know, four foot nothing standing up to begin with, a little short guy. There, there was questions, after we ate, there was questions and answers, you know. Kids come up to the microphone. And uh, somebody came up and said, uh, I understand that, you know, I can't remember exactly how the question was, but something to the effect of why didn't you play all four years in high school? And everybody knew who this coach was. So and say there's a hundred some odd people in this room, 150 people. And everybody just kind of, you know, just kind of stands up and looks over towards this guy. And Mark says, well, if I wouldn't have been cut my freshman and sophomore year, he raises his voice. And this guy starts, just like the Wizard of Oz, when she starts melting, when Dor Dorothy pulls the water, this guy just sits there, just kind of, just starts sliding down his chair like he was, <laughs> he was so embarrassed. The people, you know, um, but it was just, you know, it was one of those things that uh, he just, um, yeah, we find out it was a mistake you know, a couple of years later, but. Uh, um, was there someone that you saw that had an overwhelming influence on Mark that helped him get sort of over the mound or successful as a professional player, someone yeah. that took him under their wing? When Mark was, and I, I don't know the, the, how old, he was 10, 11 years old, something like that. Um, John Denny, who used to be a pitcher for the Cardinals, um, had a baseball camp. I think he still has it down in South St. Louis. And it's during the, during the fall of the year. And gosh, was like, I think it was like a six-week uh, thing on Saturday morning. Uh, he had a lot of coaches down there, some Cardinal players, just you know, some just dads, but they would, they would help. They'd have, you know, one section of the park to kids um, how to field. They'd, the kids are trying, trying out as catchers, you know, how to throw a guy out second, you know, how to bat, how to do this, how to do that. And John Denny was down there, and the, he noticed how, you know, everybody was throwing in the, the batting or the pitching cage there. And he noticed how well Mark was doing. And he just watched him for a long time. And then I guess the second – second or third week we were there he came up to my wife and I and, and told us he said you know I've been watching Mark for a couple of weeks I was wanting to make sure it wasn't a quirk you know just a good day versus a bad day sort of thing but he was consistently good and um, John Denny said you know he's, he's got he's really got some promise out there he said I'd like to if, if you don't mind your permission I'd like to take him under my wing and take him you know, personally and and you know, uh, give him all the points that I can to help him out you know, like, duh, yeah, go for it, you know. So he um, he took him under his wing, and for the rest of the six weeks or four weeks, whatever it was down there, he he helped him develop. Yeah, you know, I think Mark only had two pitches, maybe a, a curve and a 
slider maybe. I, I can't remember for sure what, I know a curve was one. Um, you know, but John helped him develop some of the other pitches, you know, how to hold the ball. He said, you know, do this and do that. And, and he, he just, uh, to this day, you know, it's just, it wouldn't have been for that, us taking him down to that uh, camp, that baseball camp. Yeah, who knows? John, before Mark was even born, how big of a role did baseball play in your life? Were you just a fan? Did you play it? Was there any kind of talent uh, from you? Um, I played uh, I played Little League Baseball all the way up until I could no longer, like a Jethro Bodine, I couldn't fit in the, the uniforms anymore. And they, knew, they knew I was too big to, to play there. But I uh, I love the game. I, I played the ball. I was I, I, not bragging. I, I, I was, I think, maybe a little better than a few other guys. I love the guy. I played short, shortstop and uh, second base. And uh, I really, really did like the, the game. Um, I, you know, Mark, he's, Mark loves all sports. Uh, any, you name it, he plays it. Uh, but baseball was his forte. Uh, there's numerous times you see him sitting in a dugout. When he wasn't pitching, you have a set of headphones on and uh, there were times he had two. He'd be listening to a hockey game and once, uh, you know, one set of headphones and maybe a, a baseball game, one of the other teams playing someplace, you know, but he, and then watching the game he was at, you know, so he was always, always tuned into sports there. Was it a constant thing? Like even when he left the ball game, was he always listening to something, always checking out something? Yeah. Uh, he had, uh, he had all these, uh, Radio and his, uh, vehicles are all all tuned to all the sports networks. Um, it wasn't until after he got out of the game, I guess, where you actually learned there's actually they actually played music on the radios. You know, it was just talk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was always always uh, listening. Uh, he liked he liked a post game show uh, quite a bit because you know people would call in. And, and talk, most of them are really, really nice and, and helpful. You get a jerk every once in a while, but, you know, they'd call in and say, well, you know, it's too bad this happened or that happened. And Mark would pick up on these little, you know, uh, in problems that they had throughout the field that the fans saw and Mark didn't see from his perspective on the field. You know, so that, that helped Mark maybe the next time he went out or next time he faced that team, you know, and, uh, when, they, when they bring things up like that, so. That's fascinating because professional athletes will always tell you, I don't read the newspaper. I don't watch the news. I stay away from any of that stuff. And I've always known that that's, for the most part, they're lying. They all read about what's going on with them. They want to know what other people are saying. It's just human nature. But that Mark would actually, you know, take what people were saying and actually use that as something to make them better. I think that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, yeah, and he, you know the one one thing he's told so many people and so many times in interviews was you know and I've heard I've heard the announcers ask before well how did you feel when you gave up that that play you know you could have struck the guy guy out and you threw the same pitch and hit a home run or something like that Mark say hey, I can't take it back you know the guy got a home run I'll know next time not to throw him that pitch you know so he he took anything just about everything that was a negative if you will and and. Tr- try to turn it into a positive. So yeah, he would listen to it all the time. Now, uh, you know, he wouldn't go out of his way to, and I've never seen, never ever saw him go pick up a magazine or a newspaper the day after he pitched just to see what they would read. He didn't have to, you know, uh, he didn't want to, but um, you know, cause people would call him and say, Mark, I read this article, blah, blah, blah. And if he wanted to, he could have Googled it, you know, and got it. 
but uh, yeah, he he took what they said quite a to, to heart quite a bit. What the fans said when they made the announcement uh, a few months back that Mark was on the Hall of Fame ballot. What did the news mean to Mark, and what did it mean to you and Pat? Because I'm thinking it meant something different to you and Pat than it would have for Mark. Well, I know the Mark was he was really uh, surprised. Um, I think I think everybody was surprised to an extent that we didn't think it would come this this soon. For some reason, I was thinking, and I don't know why I'm thinking it, but I was thinking that uh, generally it's like five or six years, seven years, of a player's out before they're really accepted by the, you know, the hall of fame. I, I, and I don't know why I think that, but so with him being mentioned this year, uh, just, just really surprised me. He was happy. Uh, he didn't expect to get many votes. I didn't know how the, how the balloting went. Uh, I know, I know they're voted on, but I didn't know, you know, percentage wise, how that all, all mattered. And when I saw where Mark was uh, in line with the other, some of the other uh, candidates, you know, for the Hall of Fame, uh, I was just, I was floored, you know, because I, I thought for sure, I mean, you look at some of these names or their icons in baseball, I mean, rightfully so. And, you know, Mark was, you know, up above them a little bit. Um, you know, that could change next year too. You know, Mark may fall way behind and may not get any votes. I, I don't know. But as a, as a parent, Pat and I, you know, you, you, anytime your child does something that's, that's awesome, that's really good, you know, a sense of accomplishment as a parent, you can't be more proud of them. Um, you know, and I didn't think it was possible to be any, any, be able to be more proud of Mark than what I already was. And it just, that's just, just icing on the cake, you know. Uh, it was just—I mean, I don't know what else he could do, other than the Hall of Fame. That uh, you know, pretty well wraps up his wraps all up. He was—he was a special player. He was a pitcher that you know there aren't many like him in the game nowadays at all. Um, right. And you know whether or not that's that's a good thing or a bad thing is still subject to debate. Uh, to debate, I think here on Out of the Park, we 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 like seeing those pitchers go on the distance. We like seeing those you know you know two hundred innings a year, right. but. You know, he has, he's made it to the top of the hill. And um, I'm going to throw an unfair question out at you. You know, if, if you had to peg down one thing, one thing about Mark that made him as successful as he was, what would it be? I tell a story, true story. When Mark got cut his freshman, sophomore year in high school, his uh, junior year, uh, they, they always had tryouts in February and last February, first part of March, somewhere in that area. And we always knew because Mark would come home and tell us, okay, you know, uh, three weeks from now, they're going to have the first tryouts or he was always keeping us, you know, abreast of what was going on. And this particular year, his junior year, um, he, he wasn't saying anything. And it was, you know, I finally, you know, just something just wasn't, just wasn't sitting right with me, you know, so I, I asked him one day, I said, they, uh, when's, when's tryouts? So I, I think uh, uh, two weeks from tomorrow or something like that. I said, okay, that's cool. Uh, I, you know, two weeks went by and didn't say anything. And I thought about it again. Say, what's uh, tryouts? Uh, it starts tomorrow night. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I just misunderstood you. Then he's always really so um, evasive about it. He just he just didn't want to you know, fess up and, and talk about it. So 
uh, finally, you know, he just kept putting it off and putting it off to and tell me when it was. So I called the coach. I, I called school, talked to the coach. I said, uh, Bob, this is the one that cut him his freshman sophomore year. I asked him, I said, Bob, when's, uh, when's tryouts? He said, oh, man, we've been having tryouts for like the past week and a half or two weeks or something like that. And he said, tomorrow night's the last night for it. I said, Mark been there? He said, no, I was wondering if he was going to try or out or what. No, okay. All right. Well, I appreciate that. So I went and told my wife and um, we waited uh, for Mark to come home that night. We sit around the dinner table and we had, you know, had our dinner and we always had a, a kind of a unwritten rule that as soon as the uh, the kids were done with dinner, they they go and do their homework and get it done if, if they hadn't already done it before dinner. Yeah. So Mark said he had just the one report or something like that to do. So he went and, and started his report. So about an hour after we got done eating, he told Pat, so I'm going to go and talk to him, you know, find out what's going on. So I went in his room and asked him, um, say, hey, bud, what's going on? No, oh, not much. We just kind of talked about things. I said, um, hear any more about, about uh, tryouts? When's, uh, when's tryouts? Uh, I thought, I'll check tomorrow and find out. I said, Mark, I looked at him and said, stop. You were, you know, writing things down. <laughs> this is before he had a computer. He was actually writing things down. Um, I said, um, look at me, buddy. He looked at me and I said, uh, I called school day and talked coach. And you talk about deer in the headlight look. I mean, he was just like, oh man, I'm busted. You know, I'm, I'm dead now. So I said, what's up? And he said, well, dad, i tell you what. I said, you know, the past two years um, getting cut, it hurt. It hurt really bad. And I said, I've never told you how bad it hurt. He said, but the, the denial and the rejection, I just can't, I can't handle it a third time. I said, I'll tell you what, son. I said, you take all these denials that you get. I said, you're, you're, you're never going to, your entire life, nothing's ever going to be 100%. You're always going to have denials. You're always going to have rejections. You take those, learn to turn them into positives. And see, see if that doesn't help you out. I said, you're never, ever going to get ahead. So if you quit now, if you don't go out to try baseball tomorrow, if you quit now, you're going to be quitting on yourself the rest of your life. I said, Mom and I didn't raise quitters. I turned and said, the rest is up to you, balls in your court. So I turned around and walked out the door, and um, he didn't say anything the rest of the night. He came out and said, you know, night later on. And um, we talked breakfast the next morning like nothing ever happens. And I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I went to work. I was so nervous when I was at work. Uh, I, I had to take off a little early, come home, because it was, it was his last night of practice, and um, I didn't know what, he, what was going to happen. So I, I came home, and I, I was pacing like I did at the field. And um, sure enough, he got home. He's supposed to, he generally got home by quarter to four, four o'clock, something like that. And he got me 4.15, got me 4.30, but finally about quarter to five, um, he come tooling in the driveway. And I'm just like, gosh, I meet him at the door. My stomach said, I don't throw up. I just can't, I can't handle this. You know, it's just terrible. So I was sitting in my chair and he came in the door and I said, hey, bud, what's going on? He, said, oh. he had a real long look on his face. And uh, so what, well, what happens? He just kind of looked down the floor and didn't say anything for a second. I said, oh, man. He looked up and he said, dad. I said, yeah. I made the team. So he started jumping up and down. <laughs> I started crying. Pat started crying. It was, uh, it was just, uh, that, that was probably the, the most defining time in, in all of Mark's career as far as 
anything we've had to do with him was my talk with him that night. You know, I always tell people, it was like, you know, saying, you win one for the Gipper, if you will. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I think if I wouldn't have talked to him, I, re I really, really don't think that he would have gone out and tried tried out that uh, that third night or that last night. But because I told him, you know, we never raised quitters, man. If you quit now, you're going to be quitting yourself the rest of your life. You're never going to get ahead. And, you know, that is one of the biggest challenges of any parent, right? Because you want to encourage, but you don't want to push so far that they back off. And you had the exact right balance. Many have made the mistakes with their kids. And I kind of guilty of that when it came to my son and uh, learning music. You know, he was backing away and I wanted to encourage, but I think I went a little bit too far and it ended up turning him off. But I mean, my goodness, if it weren't for that conversation, we wouldn't be sitting here chatting with you about your son as we are right now. Well, and, you know, Barry, Marcus said that. Marcus made that comment in interviews uh, numerous times that he said, you know, that, uh, you know, dad and I said, I wouldn't be sitting when he's talking to reporters after games, he says, there's a good chance I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking to you if dad hadn't taken the time and talked to me. Um, you know, we, we always made it a point within reason of never, never telling our kids what to do. We always try to present options to them and let them make their own decision. You know, again, within reason. And that was one of the things I, like you were saying with your, your, your son in uh, music, I didn't want to push him if he really, truly didn't want to play. I think he, I knew he did, but he just had to get it to convince himself. And, um, I guess, you know, it was just the right right tune or tone of uh the way i presented it to him that um and i, I had to contribute some contribute some of that to my uh, my job because i i worked for the city down here and i was involved in negotiations with the laborers you know unions so i had to i had to do some you know talking once in a while to to get you know our city side across but uh and I, I took some of that in this conversation with mark so it, it all worked out then John, each and every week here on Out of the Park, uh, we invite uh, a, a few of our viewers and listeners to join in on the conversation. So we've got a few of them that we've invited in, and uh, one by one they're going to come in, and uh, we will get them to, to each uh, have a chance to ask you a question. And uh, let's uh, begin today. Uh, by the way, everyone, say hello to Mr. John Burley. Hello, Burley. Hi. Please, John. <laughs> Uh, let's begin uh, with Fiona. Fiona, say hello to John. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well myself. I'm good, thank you. Good. Um, obviously, there's lots of things that Mark did in his baseball career that made you very proud. But is there anything you can share with us that's off the field, away from baseball, that makes you proud about him? Oh gosh. Uh, so there's there's a number of things. The the way that he's raised his children, um, and I, I'm I'm a little partial because mark has raised his two children uh brayden and brooklyn pretty closely to the way that we raised our children you know the, the finest form of, of flattery is uh you know repetition and doing you know what someone else has done so uh you know he's he's raised his, his children just right and just like he's he's taught him manners you know yes man no ma'am and things of that nature and um, yeah, that's, that's probably one of the, one of the bigger ones. I mean, there, there's a number of things, but that's, that's probably one of the biggest ones. Raise, raise his children. Thank you. Great, great question, Fiona. Thank you so much. So, you know, and that's, that's an interesting thing too. Um, his siblings, 
How did Mark how did Mark get on with his siblings, especially as he was starting to succeed in such a you know a high profile position that he had as as a major league baseball player? They were to to them and he he was Mark. Um the, he just happened to be on TV wearing a uniform. Um, that's that's all there was to it. There there was no, never once in all the years he played that I ever even remotely think any type of animosity, you know, any jealousy, um, anything of that nature. They you know they were proud of him. Hey, that's my I, my daughter called him uh, Bubby. There's my there's my Bubby out there. You know, uh, and yeah, they were just I mean just. When he come home, they'd sit there and they'd mess around and wrestle around and, you know, go out hunting and fishing together, just like brothers and sisters do. It's just, uh, I mean, there was nothing really out of the, out of the ordinary well, with the relationship. It was just a brother-sister you know, relationship. And, you know, he wasn't here during the summertime as much as normal, but uh, he made up for it, you know, being with him and things uh, when he came home off season. That's awesome. That's awesome. Piano again, thank you so much for your question. Uh, Sue, say hello to John. Not your, not not the other John, but John Burley. We had two Johns here. Hi, John. Thank you for doing. It's it's nice no to problem. meet you. My pleasure. And I was a great fan of your son and his pitching, uh, especially the speed he pitched. And I find myself when I watch baseball, comparing pitchers that take so long. And I just wondered what your opinion is, and maybe even Mark's about this idea of a pitch clock i've seen it in minor <coughs> sorry minor leagues and I, and i love it and i just wonder your opinion about pitch clocks well mark was just interviewed um the by uh, tom uh, frank thomas uh just this past week or it was broadcast this past week uh I, i'm not sure when the interview was done and one of the questions that frank thomas asked mark was along that same line about the, the, the time you know taken in between pitches and as you know, Mark, uh, I think Mark held the record. Uh, the hold is still holding the record uh, for the, the I think it was six seconds or seven seconds or something like that in between pitches. Um, and he repeatedly will, will say something about he just doesn't understand why when the guy gets the ball, he has to walk around the mound, you know, just, just pick up the rosin bag. The, the whole, he just, that's a pet peeve of his. He does not like it. He is a big proponent of the, of the uh, clock. Um, if he had anything to do with it, they'd, they'd be using it right now. Oh, good. Yeah. I, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you very much, Sue. Tom, you want to jump in here? Yeah, you know, we just had kind of the antithesis of Mark Burley uh, in terms of pitching approach uh, a few weeks back on the show, Jason Fraser, who <laughs> was known for taking, you know, an unbelievable amount of time between pitches. Um, but the question I've got actually is, is Mark like that with everything he does? Is he is he that fast eating dinner? Is he golf? Is he that fast on the tee? Does he just like rip through life? He'll take his time when when it requires it. Um, I.e., hunting. You know, that's one thing you can't rush. Uh, he'll go. He'll take his time out. You know, he's out in the woods. Uh, he he's fallen into my footsteps as far as I do a lot of woodworking and he's now doing that as well. He's, he's building a lot of things and he learned just about the, the second project he started is you can't go fast because once you cut something 
it's, it's, it's got to be right or and he learned you know, real quick that you got you know take measure twice cut once that sort of thing uh so he, he's learning but no he's not impetuous whatsoever uh b baseball was just that thing he, he he said all the way from day one that he felt that's the way baseball should be played you know he shouldn't he, he didn't never understood why it should take three hours or three and a half hours for a game um, one of the fastest games on record is, is, is Mark's and when he played in at, uh, Seattle, um, it was less than two hours, like an hour and 58 minutes or something like that. And they said that the vendors in Seattle lost something like $150,000 in, in sales. For, they had all these hot dogs and bags and tons of popcorn and all the tacos, everything all fixed. And they, it was no good. They had to get rid of it. Uh, they, uh, uh, they you know, one guy said he didn't have a chance to get his beer cold yet you know so <laughs> that uh, you know that was a, a funny thing that happened there but you know we just he just never understood why that takes so much time Todd you know and you know it's funny because we've talked to many catchers that have caught Mark and they always say he would never shake off we would tell him what to throw and he would throw it so like when it was dinner time and you'd say so Mark uh, do you want pizza or chicken tonight would he just say you tell me and I'll eat it <laughs> Unless he has something very specific in mind, he just, you know, whatever, you know, just, he goes flow. He goes flow. Yeah. You know. I think uh, Mark, yeah, you're right. Mark never, he, he never, in all the years he played, he never shook one, one uh, sign off from the catcher. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. We have one more question and uh, John, meet John. Hey, Hi, John. John. How are you? I'm doing well. I just want to make a comment. Everything you've talked about in the way of your parenting, has been so positive and encouraging. And I can see that your kids would follow you as an example because you're a great example. Well, you don't push, you, you accept, you, uh, you let them be them, you let them be yourself. So congratulations for that. Well, I appreciate and it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, I laughed and laughed last night because I pulled up the, uh, the video of, um, of Mark um, uh, on the tarp in the rain delay going back and forth and back. I must have watched it 20 times and laughed. Yeah. What yeah. A, a big kid. I loved it. I loved it. Well, there, there's a story about that. Um, Kenny Williams was GM of the, of the White Sox. And this is right after Mark signed his big contract. Uh, Kenny Williams told Mark, said, Mark, if you go out and slide on the tarp again, there's a, I'm going to find you $5,000. And I can understand Kenny's point. I mean, he had a lot of money wrapped up in Mark. And, you know, Mark go out there and slip and fall. Something happened and break his arm. Or, you know, boom, it's over with. And Mark said so. he wanted so badly to take $5,001 bills and put them in a baggie. <laughs> run out across the tarp and slap it, slap it down on second base and turn around. And told Kenny, he said, there it is. Go get it. He never had the opportunity to do it, but he wanted to do that so bad. John, can I ask you one more thing? I'm sorry, Barry. Sure. Okay, go ask you more thing? Yeah, go for it. So on June 24th, 2017, it's retirement of Mark Burley's number in Chicago. Right. And and Brooklyn throws the first pitch to him. He's behind home plate. Mm -hmm. And then Brandon goes out and he sings the national anthem. Whose broad stripes and bright stars Now, I suspect that all the buttons on your shirt would have popped off because you were so proud. What was that day like? 
it was, uh, I wore a polo shirt, so I wouldn't have to bust all my buttons <laughs> off. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, a, it was a day that uh, it was just, it's unbelievable. You, uh, about two weeks before that, uh, in just East St. Louis, right across the river from St. Louis, the uh, Gateway Grizzlies is a minor league baseball team playing, uh, playing a game, and they had Braden come over and sing the national anthem, and there was, there was only a couple hundred people there. But just to see if he was going to be able to do it without, you know, breaking his voice or, you know, being embarrassed or something like that, nervous. He was just like singing in the, in the shower, you know, just he did really handled it. So when we get to Chicago, you know, the 45,000 or whatever it was, you know, we said, gosh, how's this going to work? And he nailed it, buddy. I mean, he was just, I couldn't have been more proud of him in uh, Brooklyn too. You know, I mean, just uh, that he did, Braden is just, uh, he's one, one of the, one of a kind. That's that's my buddy, my fishing buddy. Does he still sing? I mean, Tom and I are musicians here, so we're really into this part of it. <laughs> I tell you what, he he does, Barry. Uh, he sings uh, and he he plays the piano slash organ, and he's learning the uh, violin right now. Oh, that's awesome! And he has a, a voice that was uh, he's made. I won't say the CDs. He's he has a couple of CDs that he's made, but just more family, as in you know mass production or anything like that. But, um, you know, he's a couple Christmas songs, uh, other, other songs that he's, you know, been singing. Um, and, to, and to hear him sing, good Lord, I mean, it just it gives me shivers. It really does. But, yeah, he's, uh, he's turned out to be quite the uh, musician and uh, singer, I guess you call him. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. One last thing I, w- I want to ask you about, Mark, before we wrap this up, and Having talked to people that were teammates of his, and you think of uh, Marcus Stroman's name comes to mind right away and how, you know, Marcus called him Papa Bear and really, really looked up to Mark in that way. I've heard uh, players and, and even the clubbies talk about how generous Mark was. You know, he would make sure that he took care of, of the people that took care of him during the season. When you see that does that outweigh any of the things that he did as a pitcher, just to know the impact that he left on young players, the fact that he was generous, not only with his time, but with his money. Uh, he was just just so, one of those guys that are just such a rare breed these days beyond the baseball talent. Well, he was, he was as genuine as in his away from the field, out of the public view, as, as you would think you see me, you know, in, uh, in the spotlight, uh, there was, there was times that, you know, Mark did some things that were just unbelievably just so humiliating. I mean, not, not, I didn't mean that humiliating. I was, I was so humble. Yes. Seeing mm-hmm. what he was doing, uh, just, just because he could. Um, one of the, one of the games of the things that just kind of give you a, a rough, and this wasn't the only time, but the one, one particular time in Chicago, there was a, a gentleman that he knew that owned a restaurant in the greater Chicago area. And it was more of a, a kid's, you know, theme type restaurant. And uh, this guy is him and his wife and mom and dad and a few of his kids. And um, whenever we would go there after a game, uh, this guy, he always made sure that no one came up and bothered him as far as getting interviews or pestered him. You know, every once in a while, somebody you know, squeezed through and Mark didn't mind that. But he just didn't want to be inundated while we were trying to eat. So this guy really kind of took care of Mark. Well, one one day they found uh, Mark talked to this guy, 
is how come you never ask, you know, for uh, interviews and that, and or uh, you know, sign autographs? And well, you know, you come here to get a kind of get away from things like that, and you know, just I respect you. I just want you to enjoy yourself while you're here. So Mark says, "Well, I tell you what. So what are you doing Monday night?" I don't know. Nothing, I guess. He said, well, I'll tell you what. And Mark had his, his skybox there. Uh, he said that uh, he, he told this guy, he said, you get yourself 15 or 20 friends of yours <laughs> go down there. You can have my skybox for the for the evening. Wow. So they they got a group of people went down there and uh, he had his box, uh, you know, for the uh, for the game that night. So and that was very typical of the way things you know Mark would do things. Yeah. Um, just just he he was real big going to the hospitals in Chicago, the, the children's wards. I did that quite a bit. He did it in Toronto there a couple of times too, I believe. Uh, went to the uh, children's. I don't know what the hospitals were, but some uh, some children's wards that he went to, and uh, it was just that that was just Mark. That was just Mark. I tell you something, John. We can't thank you enough for for sharing these stories and and joining us here. Uh, just just great to hear uh, such wonderful things about somebody that, you know, we've known about as a pitcher, but a lot of us never really got a chance to know him on a personal level. And, you know, I, I got in and I feel very good that I'm in that that little circle. Um, hopefully one day we can see you tell you tell Mark what a great time you had on the show and you thought it was amazing. And you think that, you know, if there's a guy that's going to treat him with the respect, it would be this show. Right. I, I know that. And he, he's going to come back and say, "How much did Barry pay you to say that?" <laughs> did he? Does he know that you're well, on the show? Does he know that we're having you well, on the show? No, actually, he's he's on the road down in Mississippi right now. Wow, what a lot of fun that was! That is John Burley, Mark Burley's dad, and I tell you what, Tom. Even though he talks a lot more than his son, and he's willing to open up a lot more than his son. There are so many similarities between John Burley and Mark Burley, and I'm not giving up. And John said, don't give up. We'll get him. We'll get somehow. And he actually, as John Burley said, he did an interview with Frank Thomas. Yep. And now that he's done one and we're in that group, Tom, I'm holding out hope. Fingers crossed, right? I hear he's a great interview, too. He never shakes off a question. Oh, Nice. Very nice. Uh, so a big thank you once again to John Burley. Thanks to Raj Sapaya. Thanks to Derek Marquis. My goodness, so many people to thank. And, of course, one more reminder for you before we go. Manscaped.com. Here's the box again if you're watching. Go to the website, Manscaped.com. Order your lawnmower 4.0. Great Father's Day gift. Type in the promo code. Out of the park, you'll save 20% and get free shipping. Can't do better than that. Well, Thomas, one thing that I decided that I will never quit is my desire to look my best. So I'm going to go uh, shave right now. And if you hear a scream, that's probably me. No, it won't be because I'm using this. No scream. Exactly. You'll be fine. Folks. You'll be fine. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Anyway, if you see me with a shaved head next time, you know that I did something wrong. Tom, as always, thank you so much, and thanks to all of you for making us a part of your week.